0: Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast with your host Tom Traplin. This is session number 31. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the next edition of the Maniverse Podcast. Today and over the next few weeks, I'm excited to feature one of the most well-known names in Canadian magic. This particular episode, our guest has competed on the Pro Tour twice, created and built the online home of Canadian magic, hosts one of the best MTG podcasts on the internet, the A-Team, and recently became the media coordinator for face-to-face games in Montreal. That's right, today we're talking to Car Young Tom, better known in the magic community as KYT. KYT comes onto the podcast today to talk about how he built com from scratch, as well as his experience on the Pro Tour and his new role at face-to-face games. KYT takes us behind the scenes to show us how he created the online home for Canadian magic and how that experience led him to uh, working with the largest online magic retailer in Canada. We explore the history of Mana Deprived, the Super Series, and how face-to-face ended up sponsoring the site. We also talk about what it's like being the everyman pro magic player, and how it feels having players all over Canada root for KYT during events. All that and more, the next few episodes of the Manaverse Podcast are basically the face-to-face series. Stick around to the end for details, but for now let me introduce KYT. Hey,
1: um, I'm Car Young Tom. Uh, better known as KYT in the Magic community, just my initials. Um, I've been playing Magic for on and off for a long time. Uh, I got started when my friends in high school uh, introduced me to the game. When when I was still in in the Pokemon phase, introduced it to me in the Urza's Destiny um, block uh, era. But when Urza's Destiny came out, basically is the third set, so it's roughly near the summer so at that point once i was introduced to it i didn't see my friends that much um until the following school year so it's not like i kept the hobby going so i came back at like judgment and then i would come back again at like morning tide or uh even tide so like a lot of magic players i come and go but uh like most magic players i always come back and at some point i decided that um just checking out The internet and seeing that places, things like chess or poker had many strategy sites and community sites, I felt like Canada was missing that. There was no sense of community and nobody knew who um, the top players were. So I decided to create manadeprived.com. It started off as a personal blog that was highlighting some of the local talent and it grew from there. A lot of people jumped on basically as volunteers. We were all volunteers. I wasn't making money from the website. Uh, Eventually, Face-to-Face Games, the top local or maybe not the top at the time, but uh, the the local store with the most aspirations for bigger things uh, decided to sponsor my website and uh, we've had a great relationship uh, since. They've, They've sponsored my site for four to five years now and it just made sense that eventually once they got big enough that uh, they would hire me in as as their uh, content manager, and here I am today, uh, basically working for them for about two three months now as their content manager, social media superstar, and and other things like tournament uh, event organizer. So a lot of things I do there, but uh, it's been exciting, and I've also gotten to play on the pro tour twice. So uh, that's that basically wraps up my my magic history.
0: That's pretty sweet. <laughs> you came in at a good time. Urza's Destiny was uh, was an interesting set.
1: It was. It was, definitely was. And uh, yeah, looking back, people consider it, a lot of Magic players considered the best block ever. So
0: definitely one of the most bro- broken blocks ever. <laughs> at least Urza's Saga was. Yeah. Drastically uh, unfair in a oh. lot of ways. Stupid Telerian Academy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's a that's a lot of really really cool things. You've you've done a lot in the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, Don't I finally achieved, achieved my dream of of making it to the pro tour for the first time. Something that I've wanted to do since I've heard what a pro tour was, and uh, it's one of those things that it's the system makes it so that it's a crazy hard to get on the pro tour. You have mm-hmm. to win a PDQ, and those tournaments, depending on where you live, of course, are over a hundred players and some three hundred. You got to be the the lone winner and ultimately even if you're the best player in the room you can go years without winning one so to finally get there once and twice in the span of a few months that's yeah, in the last year that was that was
0: awesome yeah it's a solid achievement
1: thank so, you yeah
0: no problem i've been actually following you for a while too just i've been listening to what you've doing and i i really like mana deprived and keeping track of uh i want to say your career sort of because <laughs> you know you're pretty pretty much a public figure so it's uh, pretty easy to see what's going on and yeah, uh, I've been at a few tournaments that you've played at at the same time. It's we've never actually ran into each other at the moment, but uh, I was always kind of like a fan from afar. <laughs> so it's it's nice to see that uh, I don't know one of us can kind of can make it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, yeah, if we want to talk about the the pro tour first before we get into like mana deprived and uh, you know what you're doing for face to face.
1: Sure, sure. Um, it's it was something that. Uh... Like I said, I wanted to get on for the longest time, but uh, things didn't roll my way, and I, I I sort of blamed it a little over the years on uh, the fact that I have focused a lot on the community aspect of the game, mm-hmm. uh, not on my personal game, where I'd rather put up an article or publish or edit an article than to maybe play an extra ga- few games of Magic, and, and just those extra few games really help, especially if it's a deck that you're not really accustomed to or you're playing against a deck that you're not accustomed to. So you're you're learning about the interaction. So I really missed that. And I scaled back a bit in the last year on some of the community work that, that I was doing. And like over the years, I've passed on some of my responsibilities. Like initially, I was editing all the podcasts that went on mananddeprived.com. I scaled that back. And I think that, that attributed to my uh, finally clinching the Pro Tour. And uh, once I got on there, it's not like... You know, before you get on there, obviously, you think it's the end-all, be-all. Yeah. Once you get on, it's not that much different from a Grand Prix. Uh, you still see the same pros like at, at GPs. You don't see them at, at uh, the local PTQs, but you do see them at GPs. And you see them at PTs, and there's just a higher chance that you're going to face them. But the room's also filled with PTQ winners and, and people who did well at GPs that aren't necessarily seasoned pros uh, per se. So uh, just – Getting there on the – and being able to make day two on my first try with basically a deck that I I worked on on myself proved to me that I could uh, compete at that level. And um, I think for the second – my second pro tour, I also made day two. So once again, I was able – like I could hang with the big boys and that was a good feeling. And uh, to be able to face some of the or be in the same pod as some of the big pro celebrities that I've been you know reading over the years, like I would see uh, in my pod uh, in my second pro tutorial Michael Jacob and Reed Duke were in my pod, and those are, nice. are some of the bigger names in magic. but I, I could hold my own and and the main thing I took away was like these are the most. Um, the best organized tournaments that you could possibly play in terms of venue, in terms of speed of the rounds. Like, the next round goes up pretty quick. There's not much, like, delay or lag. So that's what is... They're awesome tournament experiences. And uh, I want to go back now that I just want to prove that I can also... um, That I'm also good enough to top eight. That's probably on my list of things. But um, wanting to make the Pro Tour was, like, such a felt like such a huge climb like I was climbing Mount Everest that like once I got there even like these higher goals like winning a PT or or doing other things just don't I'm not as motivated by them as as I was just making the PT <laughs> but
0: it's just weird yeah it's interesting about that, that happens but that's kind of like your first achievement right like yeah the pro tour is that barrier that uh, most, like, 98% of the ma- people who play Magic will never, ever get on the Pro Tour. But they all kind of, you know, daydream about it. But, yeah, once you're there, you're like, okay, so, like, I guess I could win because mm-hmm. there's worlds. There's a few other, like, slightly higher plateaus. But, I don't know, it's not quite the uh, the climb as just that initial getting on the Pro Tour the first time is.
1: Yeah, because you think that you'll never make it, basically. So once once it you do make it... Like yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> give, it, give it like ten years of just playing in tournaments and just being like, oh, you know, I do, I do well, but you know, you never get to that first place finish. You know, like yeah, I feel like it's just never going to happen.
1: Right, right. Um, but now, like top eating a, a, a pro tour, the deck is still stacked against me, uh, just because like there's all these pro teams, and in the last two pro tours, I, I basically worked mostly by myself with with a help, with some help with a few friends, but there, there's also. You know, People that are able to devote an entire week before the event, they fly in earlier or, or whatever, whereas I, I'm usually working or um, you know, focused on, on other non-magic things. So it's, it's a disadvantage. But uh, part of me welcomes it. Part of me wants to prove that even if you're a full-time guy, maybe even a full-time dad um, with other responsibilities and you don't even have a team – that it is still possible, there is still a way to succeed. I haven't proven that part yet, but uh, I intend Working to on do it.
0: so. <laughs> yeah, you're the everyman player.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to be.
0: I like it. That's uh, that's definitely one of the things that's kind of like, stacked against you, right? Mm-hmm. And especially in the last few years, that's become the trend. That the pro teams, the ones that uh, the names that everybody knows, they all kind of get together, and it's like the super team that you expect one of them to kind of take it over, take it down. Either yeah. Channel 5 Bar or Star City. One of them has got the uh, got the winner in their team somewhere. Yeah, you know, the uh, the rookie is not really. A, it's not the same kind of story as it was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to ask questions about the Pro Tour specifically because you said it was one of the best run events, like just in general. Right. Is that because like Wizards just in, you know put puts in a, like a huge number of judges and support staff and they just completely go overload on it?
1: I think so, and I think they, they pick the most experienced judges uh, that are there so that you no know, there's no judge calls where that take maybe too long because the judges are not experienced enough. And mm. uh, the, the tournament being smaller definitely helps. It works in their favor. It's not a Grand Prix where they're, they have to deal with thousands of players, um, uh, potentially, depending on there's, – there's been tournaments that have been over 2,000 or, or a heck, yeah. 3,000 in Vegas. So those tournaments kind of feel – little crazy but when you're in this like more exclusive um place like you you feel more comfortable also when there's less people in a room and uh the air feels better and again there's more more judges per player so so there's that as well and i think the venue is just very they try really be careful to to pick a venue where there's sufficient access to washrooms or food and so everything is just done a little bit better and, and that adds up to a great tournament experience overall
0: cool yeah no i'm just curious what the secret is because if <laughs> uh, if they could it feels like they could probably do a better job on something like the the grand prix the 2000 man tournaments like they do i would say as good a job as they can with the resources that they're given a lot of the times but uh yeah, it's it's definitely one of the things holding back I right. think events of that size. It's just they become unwieldy.
1: Yeah, I, I it's it's hard to um and it's hard to have a consistent tournament experience when basically the the Grand Prix are given to these TOs, right? These these mm-hmm. tournament organizers that are you know, it could be anybody. It could be, you know, if you go to the US, it could be Channel Fireball and you come to Canada, it's Game Keeper. Or next year you have face-to-face games. Us, we will be uh, hosting our GP. So you're not never going to get a, a consistent GP experience just because there's just de- de- these different tos and all of them might uh, focus on different things. Like some of them, you know, they all have they all have copied ideas from each other. Like now they all have sleep-in special and, and a VIP area. Mm-hmm. But some people's VIP area, it's just not. It's just like a tent. There's like nothing <laughs> inside. There's a bunch of tables. Other VIP uh, places I've been to, there's, like, a charging station. There's, like, uh, extra water. It's, like, it's so it's So it can vary. It can definitely vary. Yeah, depending on how – a lot of players would say how cheap the TO is, basically. So,
0: uh, yeah. Well, let's explore that for a second. So Face to Face is doing uh, a GP – are they doing Toronto?
1: They are doing
0: Toronto uh, early in the year. Cool. Definitely look forward to that. Uh, But uh, so, how much control does the the tournament organizer have over the Grand Prix? Like, what do they have an effect on? Because, like, the prize support is always going to be the same, right? Like, that's a Wizards thing, right? Right. The prize support is the same, you're right? Um, I'm not
1: totally sure um, into the details as a uh, as someone that's not really attached to that part. But I know like they have a lot of uh, they have free reign in terms of how how hyped they want the event to be like if they want artists there um they pick the specific venue so there's a lot of people that mm. in the past have com- uh, complained about certain venues that uh the tos picked um you know there's always been a lot of uh hate towards gamekeeper uh i don't know whether warranted or not um in terms of where they've placed their events in the past sometimes um as an example, and so the TOs has a lot of control over that. Um, different, I believe, side events uh, possibly, um, and whether they want to. I think they're they're also responsible for whether they want live streaming or not. And um, as really,
0: that's yeah, not a I, Wizards thing.
1: I don't think it's a Wizards thing. I think it comes out of the TOs pocket to to pay for the camera setup or uh, to pay for the commentators. I think. Uh, I feel like th- that's why there are times when there, there haven't been, been any commentary, at least like in GP Montreal, the last GP Montreal, there wasn't any commentary. I'm not sure if it had to do with the fact that it was also on uh, Independence Day or not, uh, so that the American commentators uh, didn't feel like coming up. I, I'm not hmm. entirely sure, but uh, I think uh, the TO does have a lot of, a lot of say how, how the room is structured like the judges and the scorekeeper and the head judge they pick out i think i think the to makes a lot of the decisions they're just uh wizards isn't holding their hand in any way i don't think
0: interesting they just get to set to decide which to gets the, the grand prix yeah
1: yeah and i think yeah i think they control basically everything like the to can even change they can even control the entry entry fee right so um and that's why you, you sometimes hear a lot of complaints about that where mm-hmm. you know, one TO has raised it to 60 and now everyone's going crazy. But then every other TO say, hey, 60 worked for them. Then they copy it and everyone is now 60 or, or plus. And uh, yeah, it or makes
0: higher. more sense. <laughs> yeah,
1: it makes more sense in Canada though because like the exchange rate is now absolutely terrible for us. But uh, it's garbage. It's garbage. So. <laughs> Uh, it makes sense that products, cards, and everything is is more way more expensive than the U.S. right now.
0: Hmm. I guess that's a that's a tricky thing to consider with uh, Canadian tos. I wonder if that's actually affected uh, how many Canadians are traveling across the border, right, to play in GPS? Because yeah, like we're at, we're at like seventy five cents to the dollar right now.
1: Yeah, now it's a, a pretty, lot more expensive, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a
0: big increase. <laughs> just for the privilege to continue playing our favorite game.
1: But for them to come up now, that's that's know, a great deal for them. Yeah, yeah, they should they should come. They should definitely come to uh, GP Toronto.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there anything interesting? Any uh, funny stories from the pro tour?
1: Not that I can think of. Just just had a great time and always. Um, the last PT I finally got to meet Mike Flores, which is to, to me kind of funny because uh, five years ago he was I called him my sensei. He called me his padawan. We we've been inseparable yeah. in terms of an online couple could be uh, in the eyes of many of our followers uh, but it's it's he's like the last celebrity I met I met all these guys before him Chapin Jerry Thompson AJ soccer uh, CVM, like all the star City games guy like PV all the channel fireball guys and I never make my floor and, and it the reason it's so funny is because he was such a besides us being an online couple, he was such an integral part of my success. Uh, he was already – his day job is like a marketing genius and he had infinite followers on Twitter before Twitter was a thing. Hmm. And he basically spread like, you know, tooted my horn and, and said that I was the a big deal or the next big thing. And that's the only reason why I think my website, myself – And my podcast, like he, he listened to the first couple episodes and he still listens from time to time because he'll message me whenever, I guess I trash him in an episode or something, (laughs) but, uh, he, he, was a big deal and with it, a lot of people were able to listen to my podcast because of him and, and it took five years later before I finally saw him and, and got to eat dinner with him and, uh. He he wanted to get rid of all his Canadian uh, money because the PT was in Vancouver, so we went out for dinner. So he started ordering all this different uh, like extra appetizers because he just wanted to get rid of fifty sixty dollars that he had. Um, but like he went over the limit, so then I had to I had to pay like more than my share, and he felt really bad about that. <laughs> and uh, you know it was. Uh, it was funny because we were calling it like our first date <laughs> and he basically took advantage of me on our first date. Um, but that was one of the most memorable things for me just to finally meet him and uh, he's a very controversial character like maybe controversial is not the right word but a lot of people on the internet either love him or hate him. because He's polarizing. He's such a, polarizing. That's the word I'm looking for because he's so cocky but like to me like he just he's always met well. He he loves to boast about the past and stuff like that. But uh, at the end of the day, I think he's a great guy, and, and uh, he's been really kind to me. And uh, just spending time with with different people, m- meeting different people at the PTs for me the, the only story there, there hasn't been anybody who um, like I didn't feel like someone was cheating against me. There wasn't any sketchy stories, at least from
0: the poetry. or Everything was pretty pretty positive. Well, that's good. Everything's uh, above the table. You don't want to hear too much about cheating at the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I've, I'm curious about it in general because I've never been myself. <laughs> but uh, I've had a few friends who've attended and told stories. But mm-hmm. uh, is it true that you get to bring a uh, guest?
1: Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing that anymore because they, they've changed the rules constantly. Um, at one point it was like, you get to bring a plus one and then like people would – there would be free drafts all day at the PT. and Yeah,
0: that's and, what I heard.
1: Yeah, and then your plus one would get to benefit because he'd be drafting all day. He or she would be b- drafting all day, but – Sounds sweet. I don't think they do that anymore. I don't think that that's, exists. So they've sort of taken that away and I think they've made it m- a little more open. I'm not sure because I haven't bothered to bring anyone with me ever. and uh, But I definitely think they, they took away the free drafts because in GP uh, – PT Washington, one of my teammates, Xavier, he brought his dad and like there were no free drafts for him. So um, I, uh, you definitely had to had to pay – or maybe like they gave you one free draft possibly but it wasn't like all day which they started – At some point around Pro Tour Montreal, which is uh, roughly two years ago.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, because that that definitely makes it worthwhile for the guest as long as they're a a Magic player. Yeah, you're seeing a lot less
1: guests. Yeah, you're seeing a lot less guests now, I think.
0: Hmm. Uh,
1: I can't tell you for sure, but uh, I I think that's that's the impression I've gotten is that
0: they've taken away all those uh, crazy benefits. Hmm. I wonder why. Well, I can speculate as to why. It makes <laughs> me think it's a Hasbro thing or a financial reason, but, uh, yeah. No, it's the same thing. They, uh, they re. I can't remember exactly how it worked out. They closed Pro Tours to the public and then they reopened them. Are they open now? Like, can I anyone th- just come in and just hang out? I, mean, I feel like
1: they're open. I feel like they're open. That's my guess.
0: Yeah, um, so I think that's how it works. I think in the last year or something, they reopened them again. I it seems see- kind of strange from, from the, uh, a business point of view, the pro tour is basically the promotional tour. To actually lock people out just seems kind of dumb.
1: Right. I mean, I saw kids drafting the last time uh, in the pro tour area, so I am in the venue. So I imagine they're not open again. Mm-hmm. I mean, Wiz- Wiz- Wizards, they they make um, they're not one to make gradual changes. I feel like they they just switch it on and off. Um, a lot of the th- announcements they make are uh, they're just. They just make them. There's not any uh, for a lot of them. There's not a lot of prep for them. Like when they just threw in the PPTQ uh, yeah. s- system uh, almost immediately without you know knowing how people were going to adjust to it. There, there's a lot of rules that they just like boom. They, that's they just it. came
0: up with it They're like let's just try it out, and see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and we're the we the test subjects. There's not, yeah. but like it's it's not their fault. It's not like they can sort of test it otherwise, but.
0: But maybe a little bit of <laughs> forewarning might help. Right, right. What do you think of the new uh, PPTQ system? Do you think it's uh, better or worse than what they had before?
1: So I think I, I'm one of the biggest proponents of it. I think it's the best in terms of not having to travel far at all. Um, like, people always focus on the regional PTQ, but, like, you only have to worry about it once you win a PPTQ, which is not mm. a given. It is not a given, and... uh it's just good to be able to travel to just less than 30 minutes um, or 45 minutes max maybe to a – depending on – actually, it really depends on where you live. But like where I live, there's there's definitely a PPTQ every week now and they're reasonable distance, maybe maximum an hour from my house by public transportation. Yeah, And uh, to be able to play those and feel like those events are winnable is a big deal uh, – PTQs are just so intimidating, and the fact that you have to win first is such a top-heavy type of tournament. Whereas when you're playing these smaller ones, it's like 40 people. Uh, I think it it's better for the casual guy. He he goes in a casual guy trying to get competitive, and he sees like, wow, I actually have a chance. I'm not against like a hundred guys, where maybe 20 of them are really like sharks, really good players. Um, you're, you're just and sometimes you're playing at your local store. Your favorite store, and you feel even more at home because you're used to playing there, and you're more comfortable. There's less traveling overall. I love it. And once you get to the next one, uh, you have to make top four instead of winning it. And yes, you're playing against people that have won a PP TQ in the first place, so so like they're better than your average guy. But I think it's small enough that. No, I've had friends that that have qualified that way, and it just seems like it might actually be overall an easier uh, path to the pro tour. Um, and once you make it, you get to befriend like three other people that make it. And if they don't have a team, and you and you like each other, then mm. you you actually have a base. Whereas, you know, when you win a PTQ and you're just this, uh, what like a lot of the good players will, will see as a random, you're gonna just yeah. get ignored. Like no one's gonna like people think you're a luck sack for winning it and you know no one's gonna want you on their team you're not gonna get uh if you're not part of a network of friends or if you play in a small store where everyone's like a casual commander player it's like it's really hard for you to go out there but making it with three other friends it, maybe that helps i'm not i'm not going i'm not Seeing it 100 percent does because I haven't gone through that process myself, but uh, it's better than, than to winning a PTQ all by yourself and not knowing anyone that that is going to the pro tour with you.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's actually a that's a good point too. That uh, we, if you win the regional, you have three other ready-made teammates potentially, as opposed to just being the one guy. But I think overall, it is a good change. Like mm-hmm. it, I think it's a it's kind of like when they broke up the regional pre-releases; they made it so that every store could get in on. What was essentially a cash cow,
1: right? And, and
0: like it just made it more more accessible to the stores that create the community, and then also more accessible to the players, slightly more comfortable. Like I, like you said before, the uh, like a full one hundred to two hundred person PDQ. that's an intimidating environment to play Magic in.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially even now I sometimes can feel well, not really, but I remember feeling intimidated just by. Um, just the the environment and and the fact that a lot of magic players are just rules lawyers and they'll just do anything like
0: they'll do what it cut- takes to win, right?
1: Yeah, they're very cutthroat, and if you're not, that's that's what discourages some players from from entering because if you feel like you you're gonna lose a game off of some technicality that you weren't sure of due to inexperience, then it's just like that fear always lingering around you is, is not comfortable at all. Um, but like you said, uh, it's it's a positive change that it, all stores get to run their own thing. Uh, before, it was just like one guy that had a monopoly um, here, and, and he was able to set the pre-release prices at whatever he wanted to. So by be- spreading it, uh, there's always, obviously, pros and cons, because then there are stores that just run horrible events. Um, right? So... Uh, there's there's those stores that that given this opportunity aren't using it optimally but uh, for the most part it's it's been positive all around at least uh from all the stores that I've played at
0: yeah yeah and i think it's a it kind of reflects the free market sort of thing that if you know if your store gets access to a P- PPTQ or you know the new pre-releases and they run them badly the players can choose not to go to those right whereas uh, before if uh i think we're kind of sort of talking about the same person with uh, regards to the regional ptqs uh if you didn't like that the way they ran the event you didn't really have another option like at least uh, like here we live i live in kitchener so before i had to travel to toronto to play in a, a regional pre-release and if i didn't want to play in their specific one there were no real other options close by so it was either you deal with it and you know deal with the potential gouging or whatever the shenanigans were or you just don't play right. i think it's a better better situation now
1: yeah i would agree with that
0: yeah so i want to talk about manager deprived now sure
1: sounds, yeah. sounds good
0: so you saw the uh, the lack of a community site and that's why you wanted to to build something what was it yeah. like in the beginning
1: yeah um, i had tried many failed experiments in the past um I'm one of those guys, like like many people who have attempted to you know get into blogging, just write something and, and mm-hmm. hope that someone out there is is re- like what most writers want is like some sort of feedback that someone's reading, so that they have the encouragement yeah. to keep moving forward. I think that is important. Like if you're if you don't have an audience, you you really have to be um, writing for yourself and. And you have to – it has to be like therapeutic writing then at that point to be able to keep going. Um, For me, it was just – a lot of it was that. I I was just writing magic blogs or entries or videos for myself to get better. So I think an important part of that is even if no one was commenting, I just kept going. And uh, um, I saw this – so magic – I blogged about poker I blogged about my life I blogged about you know I had all these different blogs even chess which is what I used to play very seriously before Uh, but magic it was always the game that had the most uh, that had the most friends playing with uh, that it was the game that I could get the most people discussing about Um, and uh, whereas when I used to play chess I, I played with my classmates and eventually, none, none of them wanted to go – it got too serious for them. None of them wanted to go to tournaments anymore, and it was just me. So I, I stopped uh, that. But for Magic, <laughs> at the local store, I would always see some of my friends still playing. They were always playing, and it, it was always casual enough. And in like chess, you can be – as long as you're decent enough, you will always have a chance to win a game of Magic. So that's what kept people in. And I needed that. I needed that in order to be able to make a website because I didn't want you, – you can't make something where people just come and go. Um, so with people like – I met Alex Hain again who I first met at a chess tournament like years, 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 years before. But I met him again at the Zendikar pre-release and I asked him, um, you know, are you that kid that I used to play chess with? And like we reconnected there. And oh, that's cool. Uh, now we know who, who Alex Hain is now in the magic world. But uh, at the time, we just met at the Zendikar pre-release. And he, wanted, he liked my vision. And he wrote a few articles early, in the early years or at least edited um, some of the articles or videos that we did in, in the first couple of months. And um, would end up supporting my brand for years. And then there's, there's a guy that um, is a stroke of luck. Uh, I sat down at my first PTQ in ages, if not my very first one, uh, because I, I, before that, I didn't really know what PTQs were. So when I – right after Zendikar, I would sit down and for some reason, the, the person next to me, Vincent Tebow, um, we didn't even know each other. But we shared each other's list. I don't even know what happened um, exactly because this is uh, a PTQ. For crying out loud. You're supposed to be competing and here I am we're exchanging deck lists with this friendly guy and uh, he ends up winning the event uh, nice. or the event, one of the two events that we attended together and he wrote the PTQ winning uh, article on my website and he went on eventually to make the national team by finishing second place at Canadian Nationals and has made the PT maybe another time or so but I think a lot of those things came together um, to push the name of my website like these guys succeeded and they they contribute content and together we're able to uh, create enough content for people who want to come read them and um, as I said there was a gap there and so for Canadian players or local players that plays at like face-to-face games uh, they started to know who I was because there was n- nothing out there, nothing else to read. You could read like about the American pros, but it- you could read SEG articles. But maybe some of the guys were hoping that they would be featured in one of the Man and Deprived articles because there's a higher chance of that. I'm just featuring local talent or writing about a local tournament report. And these guys were like, oh, man, I was at that tournament. So for them, it was like – you know, something that they could relate to or, or um, participate in um, so I was able to attract a lot of, a lot of Canadians to join um, on to this community sort of thing mm-hmm. um, it, it became a now that I think about it it was really a strange phenomenon because at one point um, I asked if anybody wanted hoodies and a bunch of people signed up to buy one and you would go to events, and some events you'd see a bunch of mana deprived uh, hoodies uh, with their names on their backs, and I was just like taken aback that it got that big to the point where people were happy to be part representing this community pushing movement, if you will. Um, so, like even now, I look back and it's just uh, you know I thought I was just making a blog, like. <laughs> <laughs> So to have people like cheering for me at events uh and stuff like that it's it's um yeah it's actually kind of crazy now that now that i've s- really sat down and right now had to talk about it
0: and played it all out. it's pretty cool to see how far you've come, yeah, from the humble beginnings to having people you know rep your brand at uh, tournaments all over all over Canada
1: yeah, and now whenever i like, I wasn't a popular kid at school. I was maybe popular uh, just because I had the strongest grades and, like, a lot of the jocks. Like, I actually actually got, like, zero because a jock was caught copying off my paper and <laughs> we both got zero. So I was never, like, the, po- the popular kid. And so now, like, when I make a status uh, message about how I'm doing in a tournament and there's a lot of people cheering for me or... Or retweeting my tweets it's it's kind of it's definitely different um and uh i'm overwhelmed by by the awesome support that i get uh every time i play a
0: tournament or, or do anything magic related mm-hmm. i can see how that'd be a uh, bolstering yeah yeah so what's your involvement uh, with the site now you said you've uh you've had volunteers you've got people who kind of like do the editing for your podcasts and stuff now um, what do you uh, focus on
1: now right now it's a transition period uh face-to-face games have brought me on and uh we're gonna go through a phase where we're, we're gonna possibly transition to a face-to-face games only site um that's that's still on the table uh, right now because face-to-face games itself is becoming a bigger brand um a lot at the very beginning uh, Manager deprive was the bigger online brand. There was no question about that, and uh, the reason they were uh, willing to sponsor us is because they needed that online exposure. They were known locally, but no one online knew who Face Face Games was or could vouch for them. And eventually, the store has gotten bigger and bigger, and uh, not only that, we've we've been able to host a bigger Manager Deprive Super Series. I mean, it started really small. We were just hitting. Uh, a few venues um when we first started the the first year and then we've added more venues we've added more prizes uh to the point where like this year we probably hosted uh there's been like two mana deprived events a month and there are some and we've tried to hit every single province across the country so things are getting bigger and bigger all around um when it comes to, like, the, even though the the tournament series has a mana deprived name, it's really face to face games, the financial giant behind uh, the tournament series. And they've been becoming more f- successful. And we're, we're going to look to see how far we're going to push that brand and, and confuse less uh, people who show up at face to face games Toronto. You know, I've heard they, they might be confused about why they're uh, supporting mana deprived. Those that like, don't know the history behind the two brands so like a new kid that comes in and and goes to face to face games toronto and is like really happy wants to support their store and it's just like confused why they're sort of sponsoring the mana deprived super series so we might try to streamline that part um and have just one content site at some point but that that's somewhere in the next year um but for now i'm i'm just mainly editing uh articles and content and producing videos for for manna deprived until then until we decide uh whether or not we're going to make that big transition um Hmm. yeah and that's that's exciting news um and uh for now just still getting adjusted to my job at face which is um a lot of social media work um coming up with posts to to post on their different social channels and um, also organizing their – and not sponsoring, but advertising their local events, which is like their local modern tournament, their local – like their weekly thing that they do every day. And that's been taking a lot of my time. So I've been scaling back on uh, the content editing. But but still, like I haven't gotten enough time to – to write again, which is what I enjoyed writing, which is what a lot of people have asked me to do again. Uh, my Captain's Log series is very on and off. Um, my last entry is probably over a year old. And uh, so it's it's just been a tough juggling act. But what I do consistently still do, like I've been basically I'm, I'm just rambling about the various little things that I sort of touch on right now. But there is one constant, and it's, that's the A-Team podcast. I still – do that weekly. Um, even though we've been going through a rotating cast of characters, um, we've had uh, Jesse Smith, who was our first fourth member. He he had it was too overwhelming. He left. Then we had John Medina. He eventually left, and now we have uh, Scotty, who's who's taking hiatus to concentrate more on uh, his personal stuff and family stuff. And uh, but I've trucked along all the way through. Um, I've had moments where I felt like quitting just because it's, you know, it's still, it's still a commitment. Like even if you're doing an hour or two hours, those are hours that I could do something else with every week. Yep. So, but that's still been the constant and, and it's still one of the most well-received podcasts out there. So I don't really see a reason to stop just yet, but, but that is still something that I'm, I'm doing. So providing that content, uh, that audio content for people who are begging, stuff to listen to on the way to work because they are beyond
0: bored or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. You to still listen to it uh while I was actually working <laughs> pretty pretty much uh, consistently every time it came out. So thank you for producing it and I hope you keep making it. But uh yeah, as long as it's still enjoyable. Like as long as it's not uh you're not hating the act of creating it. It's still a good time, you're still hanging out with your friends, right?
1: Right, right. It's it's still
0: I mean, the, the problem is that you sort
1: of have to um, force yourself to be in tune with, with some of the most important magic topics if you are sort of like a magic radio show. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, the, that's the problem. You can't really allow yourself to be behind the times on any issues, or else the, the listeners is like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Like, you know, th- that's not the important issue this weekend, or this has been discussed. 10 weeks ago so you always have to be relevant and and that's really a challenge even for someone like me whose whose job is in magic right now and who should be up to date i mean there's just different facets of magic whether it's like the competitive side then there's all these um, more controversial issues whether it be you know um, crazy shit like opinions on whether zach jesse should be banned or not or yeah what what do you think about the uh you know, crack gate guy coming back and, and stuff like that. So you have to be, you know, as a competitive player, you don't have to care about this side of of the of of magic. But when you're a MTG podcast that talks about basically everything related to Magic, then you have to increase your your scope of knowledge and, and news. So it's
0: it's a challenge. Yeah, definitely have to stay on top of the uh, MTG community controversies. Yeah, because. <laughs> Then they, you know those are interesting so it makes sense <laughs> but uh i can see that being an uphill battle always staying on top of the the news and the reddit boards and stuff like that fun stuff though overall i think uh yours is definitely one of the best best magic podcasts just in general so still appreciate it mm, thank
1: appreciate you appreciate the work
0: well did uh, face-to-face approach you for the sponsorship or did you talk to them first uh, like way back in back when
1: it it was a good that's a great question because uh, when when i talk about vincent making it to uh, finishing second in nationals he was wearing a in deprived shirt uh all throughout and you know there was some tension like when me and face we weren't tight at all um there was definitely a competition for for shirt wearing exposure Mm -hmm. and it, it was it was kind of tough because it was like sort of like they were the evil – in my eyes, the evil big dog because they <laughs> were they were planning to pay people to wear T-shirts whereas my me, I wasn't because I, I had no money. This was just a community website. Yeah, of course. And it just represented something greater than just a card store and we've butted heads multiple times uh, when my friend – my now friend but he wasn't – he was just an acquaintance back then. John Rowe won – the first GP I ever attended, GP Toronto. Um, after day one, he was, I believe, undefeated. He asked for a man deprived shirt to wear because he loved what the website symbolized, and he did wear it. But once he hit top eight, I believe Face offered him money to wear their shirt. Really? And and he either he probably took up the offer, if I uh, recall. So it's it was tough, and eventually. I guess Face realized that instead of fighting against me because I was still um, going to be a presence, it wasn't like at the time they had no intention of of making – they didn't have the resource to make their own content site, so It wasn't like they were going to create something to butt heads with me, like rival me directly. And and they felt like um, I was sending a positive message. So they approached me with the concept of sponsoring me. So that um, when, like, or, but it was a, man, there's a lot of great memories and hilarious memories when I think about it because we just couldn't really make it work brand wise because we're just two separate brands. So the very first t shirt uh, to stop butting heads that we had was basically, uh, it was, man, it looked so ugly. It was like two banners on the shirt, and the top one was face to face games, and the second one was man deprived. Uh. And uh, some some people still have that shirt. In fact, at the last one of the tournaments we just played, Vincent Tebow was wearing it. It's like it's such a vintage shirt. It's so ugly, but it goes to show that like Face, you know, didn't want to fight with me. Didn't want to fight with um, the concept of a community. Obviously, the the the, the
0: yeah, you're, uh, you weren't. You're not exactly a rival game store, right? So you're not really competing in the same sense. And I think. Face-to-face probably realize that if they were actually going to, uh, like, compete in a uh, more aggressive kind of way, they're probably not going to look so good trying to force out a, you know, th- what you said, like, the community site. It's sort of a, a goodwill sort of thing to just right. try and, like, get that out of the way. It seems kind of like a, a bully uh, bully tactic. So I can understand why they'd want the strategic alliance instead. Right. Like, they,
1: they saw that everyone loved this brand, and it's just like, to just booted out and just force people to wear their shirts. I mean, um, it, it's – so they they had that conflict and, and so did I. I was just like – I also was conflicted because I didn't want my friends not to take money. I mean if they're going to get money to wear a face shirt, by all means do so. I mean I don't want – I didn't want them to feel bad for not representing me because they took money. So the fact that we partnered really helped solve that conflict in my eyes, and um, and we moved on for them, but yeah, they definitely approached me with a proposal, and uh, since then, since we've sponsored me, there's always been rumblings of them um, potentially hiring me, and uh, eventually this like a couple of months ago, they finally approached me with an offer.
0: Cool. yeah, no, that's actually uh, where I want to go next, and uh, one of the more exciting things that uh, happened recently. But uh, a little bit more about the sponsorship part. <laughs> I'm just curious. So sure. By uh, sponsoring your site, what what did they actually do? Like, it was... Uh, were you running the Mana Deprived Super Series before they sponsored you, or were was that kind of, like, their thing, their contribution that, to your site?
1: That was always their thing. Um, they... Um, ultimately, they could have called it the Face-to-Face Games series from the get-go, but... They felt that the, the, the idea behind calling it the Man-Deprived Super Series was the fact that it would attract... People would be more open about supporting it because it wasn't like you were supporting an, an evil store or a corporation. It wasn't like... You were it's supporting like, the community. Right, you were supporting the community. Um, and and that was important. And it's it's like if it was called face-to-face games, it's you're obviously promoting... Your face-to-face game store, whereas Manner Private's like, well, it's just this free content site. There's nothing like to promote that is like, you know, there's no financial benefit. Um, honestly, for me, there's there was there wasn't and was and will never be any financial benefit for for an X number of people visiting my store. Uh, my not my store, my yeah. website. Yeah. Um, like an extra thousand people, it doesn't change my bottom line. Their main contribution was basically to give me money um, to, uh, in exchange for some ads on the website in order for me to pay for the web hosting and uh, to pay um, a lot of the contributors. Like eventually, at some point, I was able to pay people in store credit or, or money for the articles or videos. So cool. that was important. Because eventually, there's there's only so much. If my friends helped me for so long, I mean, there's only so much that he can do for free. And it felt great, like I felt amazing when I was able to finally have some money to compensate a lot of my contributors um, at some point. So that was their biggest help. As for the super, for those the super series, like they they benefit from you know, hosting the events there and, and I benefited from the brand exposure that they provided by having my brand move from different parts of the country and me knowing that they would do a good job representing my brand. Like they weren't going to run shitty tournaments or you know do sloppy things that would just hurt the image of man-deprived. I, I don't think I've ever heard a complaint about my brand. Uh, when it came to the tournament series, so uh, it was nothing but
0: positive uh, that they were that they decided to do this. Solid, I think I also know why. As you were going through that, why they didn't want to uh, compete as much, and they, it actually made more sense because your site wasn't just a, like a competing store or a competing brand; it was the way you positioned mana deprived if they were to go against you, it was, it was as if they'd be trying to go against Canadian magic. Right. Which would be just a friggin' horrible idea. <laughs> like nobody wants to be the store that hates Canadian magic. That just doesn't make sense. So I can see how that, if that really worked in your favor, so that was a, that was a good move. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So like now that you're the, uh, the content manager for face to face, now that, Face has grown so much in the last like five years as well. What is it? Uh, well, what are your responsibilities first? That's what do you do for face to face, like, uh, beyond the social media stuff? Um, not like
1: really outside of the social media stuff and uh, the event organization that I told you about, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be um, MDSS or local events, um, also to. Contact judges uh, for not just, like, the local small events, but we're talking about, like, the regional PTQ. We're talking about the PPTQ. We're talking about uh, Grand Prix trials. You know, I have a hand in in making sure that I I have the right people and that the prize structure is okay. I have a say in that. Um, I also have a say on any future projects um, the store may have or that the website may have, whether it be – you know, someday, telling the big bosses that, that I have hey, maybe we should do like videos, you know, board game reviews or whatever, um, where I'm the host or something. So I have a lot of leeway in terms of um, what I think should be good creative content to um, increase the exposure of the website and in- increase the you know the brand and, and have more people liking us and visiting us. Um, so, any chance I get, I have to look at opportunities um, to for more content to be created. So, and right now is just to maintain um, com And uh, as I get more comfortable, um, I think it'll still take me at least another month before I'm fully trained in, in a lot of responsibilities that I am now. Right now, like, some, t- some stuff like um, Peter, the operations manager at, at, at Face-to-Face, has, has, still has to teach me how to do certain things. So I'm definitely still on, on the learning path for a lot of my tasks. But uh, once I get that down, um, a big bulk of it is just coming up with new creative content. It might even be um, – we've talked about this. is basically even have me learn the, the different games and the big plan is to do what I did – for the other games, um, do what I did with Mana on the other games because the other games are growing and there is a growing community at our local game store. There are a good amount of people playing Yu Gi Oh every Friday, uh, sorry Wednesday night because we host events there. There's a growing force of will uh, mm-hmm. community. Um, that game is is actually becoming a, a hit. There's like card fight vanguard there's way schwartz there's a bunch of different games uh that in canada honestly once again that there's a big hole there's no that i can think of i'm not a Yu-Gi-Oh player so maybe there there is a hole that that's already been filled but um not that i know of and if face face games can create like a Yu-Gi-Oh site that all canadian Yu-Gi-Oh players can uh visit and and see some relevant content to them that would be the dream um but that, like, for me to master all these game, games and come up with content, is going to be—that's um, a—that's a big right job. Now, I imagine an impossible challenge. So, so I'll see. I, I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but uh, that's one of the goals. That's actually, honestly, um, what I do right now is really a lot of the maintenance and and uh, social media they're not exciting stuff to do but but that like the future of, of just growing more communities that's a long-term goal um how long it's going to take me to get there i have no idea and how am i going to get there i also have no idea but uh, like manager pride i'm just gonna take it one step at a time and i think that uh before too long i'll probably be able to create something special uh, obviously with the with the backing and help of uh, face-to-face games
0: yeah cool no, that's a that's a pretty cool, pretty good goal to have, because you're probably right that, you know, things like Force Will, Yu-Gi-Oh, there, I don't think there is a Canadian community site like you. That's easy, easy niche to fill. Sort of comparatively, but uh, it's not like a, a walk in the park, but low-hanging fruit for sure. Normally, when you're a business owner, and like in in a lot of ways, you, you do run something similar to like a game store, and that it is right. a, uh, it's a business, it's customers, community, all that. When you start that, you kind of have a vision for what you want it to be, right? Usually, there's like a... When you start a game store, you have a, I don't know, a threshold for success. That right. you think, that at this point, this is when you've made it. And it's different for everybody. So, I, I'll ask you, what do you... Uh, in the case of, like, money-deprived, what do you think uh, success w- looks like for for uh, your community site so
1: it, wow that's a tricky question because something that I jumped head on into Man Prime without thinking uh, too much about that and I ultimately thought about the community um, it's not, I've mentioned this in like articles I've written or on the show it's not a completely unselfish uh, endeavor because by promoting magic and getting more people to play it, the game became better for me so, admittedly, it is also uh, a somewhat selfish pursuit. And, but um, Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. It just works out that this, this pursuit benefits everyone as a whole, that people are willing to support me in this endeavor. So, I, I had all these people support me. But I never looked too much beyond that because um, at the end of the day, when you look at all these strategy sites, uh, they're backed by a store or sponsored deeply by a store. And I knew where the end game was. The end game was, was I willing to eventually start my own store? And um, I flirted with the idea a few years ago or when I first started manager Private. I flirted with that concept. But with my ally being so established in the Canadian market right now, uh, with what I see, from what I've seen, what it takes to get in the market – And with the possibility that magic is going to hit, you know, the bubble will burst soon because the growth has just – since Zendikar, the growth of the game has just been unexplainable, um, that it hasn't plateaued even. Um, Eventually, it's going to hit this point where it just won't grow anymore. Um, A lot of these considerations
0: (laughs) – It's got to happen at some point. Yeah,
1: yeah going to happen at some point. So all these factors alone and the fact that I, I just don't see myself running a card store in my head. Like I want to be a, an entrepreneur of some sort but uh, to get into the card sorting, um, card pricing, um, you know, I'm not even – like I'd have to learn all of that from scratch. Like I'm not – I don't even know how to do any of that stuff uh, even though I'm working at the store now and, and I know I have access to all the prices of every single card that we sell. Um, it's I have no concept. Like putting me in a vendor booth, I have no concept of like how much I should be buying certain cards for. And uh, Sal, like you know, has been doing these events for years, just sitting at these GPS and, and knowing how, exactly how much he wants to buy collections for, and traveling to events. So there's a lot of aspects that I didn't want to go. Uh, and uh, I did. I was approached by other opportunities by other stores that wanted to um have me as a part owner and just merge together and have Mapri be their online presence and um, for me to help with that mm-hmm. so I have had opportunities to take it to where I think had to have been the next level because where else is the money coming from unless I'm doing the star City games route and getting people to pay a premium how how else am I gonna fund my my writers it just I needed a business model that made sense uh, in the future. So um, I'm glad I'm able to partner with Face, uh, so that now you know we can sort of merge and help together. So I no longer have a super long-term goal with my website uh, in terms of uh, profitable business model. Uh, working with Face and being able to continue working on content and doing a job that I love is a dream come true. And I think when I look back at, at Mana deprived. I have already, at some point, I had to have realized that I had ultimately succeeded in my goal um, of connecting different players around the world uh, into one single place. And looking back, now, like I've also reached a point where I'm a figure of influence uh, when it comes to anything Canadian Magic related that I just wasn't. I was just a regular player beforehand and now – uh, sometimes what i say can definitely um, affect uh the way a group of players might think they might respect my opinion uh over a certain topic and they will listen and that's that's like my my influence has grown significantly since when i served first started the website and i think i, mm-hmm. I have to see that as a success like that's something that i have now that i never had before and uh Will my influence in Canadian Magic grow any significantly stronger from this point? Probably not. I feel like I'm very satisfied with the point that I've hit. And now that I work for the biggest, most well-known online store in Canada, it's not like it can't grow from there. So um, all that to say I'm pretty content with, with what I've done and I'm very excited about the future, like I said, about growing all those different communities um, that's something I've loved to do and to not have to worry about the profitability behind these communities it's just a huge boon and uh, I'm just yeah. very excited
0: yeah thinking about that now that's actually a great advantage to have mm-hmm. now that everything's established and you've got face-to-face who's willing to back you you could probably get it done like considerably quicker than it took for Mana Deprived to kind of take off mm-hmm. right definitely cool and then the you mentioned that uh, you had other people offering to potentially uh, take you on as a part owner, right? Did why not? Like, why didn't you want to? Just, um, that no, wasn't right at the time.
1: Uh, it wasn't. It didn't. It didn't feel right, and um, it was just complicated. Uh, the ultimate, the ultimate reason I decided to decline. Well, there were a multitude of reasons. There, I had to weigh a bunch of pros and cons about staying with face or not. And um, mm. the, the the other side of it was, you know, it was two different store owners that were approaching me into some sort of weird coalition. And okay. I just thought it was too messy, uh, ultimately, to have me and then I'd have to work with two different store owners that own their own separate local game store that, that weren't related at all. So that they just wanted to,
0: just, just to destroy. share
1: a content site like, basically yeah this joint venture but the problem was to me it was like what if someday down the road like these two guys don't like each other or there's a disagreement um or what if these two are you know in cahoots and might kick me off somehow just like buy my brand and, yeah, and it out. force me out eventually so there's definitely a lot of those concerns and um I'm happy. I'm, I, I don't regret my decision at all. Just because of uh, how it ended up playing out, um, it, it wouldn't have worked anyways. Um, now that I know, like a lot of local game stores, they just—it's just hard to, you know, the the relationship is 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 very tense. Like you, sometimes you're the TO of one, and like you have to decide whether, like, there's a lot of these inter-store decisions you sort of have to make. Like do you then... You're TO of an event but you vend a table to like your closest rival or do you charge him a, a crap ton because you know they'll pay for it anyways. There's a lot of – there's already a lot of interstore politics and rivalries mm-hmm. and uh, I just couldn't see that working and, and from like what I know now, I'm not going to comment too deeply. I just know for a fact uh, what I know now, it wouldn't have worked. So I'm glad that I didn't do that. Dodge the bullet. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I was just curious as to why you would uh, turn down an offer. You know, what's the what are the circumstances? And I, that's a totally understandable reason. And then uh, I guess as uh, like a you know let's say final wrap up question. Sounds good. Uh, as from your uh, your perspective, you've you've seen quite a bit, and you have an interesting uh, position now that you're the content manager for the biggest online store in Canada, right? So what do you think uh, sets the winners apart from the losers? Why do you think some game stores open up and then shut down three or four months later cause they, for whatever reason versus something like face-to-face?
1: Um, well, face-to-face is in, in a unique position where are, I, I believe they're able to leverage their successful uh, online sales um, to really keep, I guess, the truck going, if you will. Um, recently, um, a... A store called Three Kings Loot owned by you know, uh, two people I consider friends and one I consider like a, a magic friend, someone I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've opened it and they've told me that the only reason they're able – they've opened downtown, which is uh, there is no store that I know of that's downtown Montreal because it's, it's probably – the rent is probably insane expensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've told me that they've been able to do that because of their online sales. Which indicates to me that that um, a lot of these stores that that have successful online business models are able to to sustain. Um, then there are other stores that just like that I don't know how. Like the the closest one to my house that I've played FNM at forever still exists and they host FNM, but they've never pushed Magic um, at all. Even though even though the guy could, the owner could, but. They don't even have a laptop. It's one of my funniest stories about the store. Yeah. They don't even have a computer for uh, the poor, you know, TO there, the little FNM organizer who has to do every pairing by hand and has been doing it for years, whether it be M or pre-releases. But I, I assume they still make money from comic books or hockey cards. But, uh, like, Magic, they – I mean, they had a big opportunity. They Not only did they um, – have a strong magic base because my friends and everyone were promoting magic and playing there. I mean they, they could have easily – like the owner could have easily used me um, to promote their store and but they never wanted magic to be a big thing there. But that still looks like it's a sustainable and growing business and uh, maybe uh, maybe just some stores to me, they just try to grow grow too fast soon and, and maybe that's that's the reason they closed down or they just don't maintain their store at all in terms of its cleanliness or, or they're just um, not uh, well kept. Um, but uh, as long as they able – like the success of some of these stores I'm mentioning is just that they have a part of their business that's just really profitable, they don't have hopefully a bunch of inventory that they've bought that they can't sell and that's why they're in the red so yeah that's that's my outsider's perspective I don't really have a deep uh, inside the money <laughs>
0: idea yeah. no that's good That's uh, I think it's a good question to ask just to find out what the you know from as a customer as a player it's different when you're not uh, you're not the guy you're not the entrepreneur who built the business it's you have a different perspective, so it's something that uh, I like to explore. And I think you're right. I think a lot of what you talked about, uh, how like online sales can really carry you in a lot of cases, that you can do a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do otherwise if the online portion wasn't there. And then also the fact that if you don't uh, maintain the basics, like you know things like cleaning your bathroom, cleaning your tables, you know, vacuuming, that kind of stuff. If you don't do that, then yeah, you're you're missing out on uh, the foundation for the business in the first place. So it's probably not going to last if you can't even make that work.
1: Yeah, and I think the the most attractive thing is is your employees, especially those that organize the events. If they are beyond welcoming, that's a huge boon. I think that's that's one of the reasons I go back to certain stores and feel a sense of loyalty is because the people who work there want me to be there make me want to come back time and time again and like i said that the that store that doesn't have a computer or anything the to called pierre is the nicest guy around decided for fnm to randomly give rares of his own collection um like every time every person would come away even if it's a crappy rare there's like a big money or big foil that he has in a stack of rares has every player come up even if they've lost all their matches pick a number counts down and and gives you the card that the number that, that you he stops at um and it's it's stuff like that that just add up and there's this like for me there's this indescribable loyalty i feel to to him not not to the store though because like i said they didn't push magic but to him that i that i constantly came back every friday and eventually this no-name store would have like forty people at their F and M's, which at the beginning was unheard of. Like having, even now, it's a pretty good number to hit, right? Having like twelve or, or fifteen can be huge for any small store, but we're regularly get, regularly getting forty, and a lot of it is due to him. So I, I would say that um, making sure, like a lot of, I assume from employees from Magic stores, a lot of them could be like not very friendly so so that definitely hurts the experience and if if the owners are not careful and don't know that that their employees are not super effective when it comes to the customer service department then it, it might hurt their their store and they don't even know it right because they're not actively like watching the interactions uh, between their employees and and the magic customers or, or any customers
0: yeah no, I agree it, it basically all comes back to customer service a lot of the time mm-hmm. that uh Definitely have to manage the way your customers experience your business. And if it's not you, if it's your employees, you have to be on top of that and make sure that they're they're repping your brand the way you want them to. Okay, sounds but, good. I, thanks
1: for having me, Thomas.
0: Yeah, no problem. I, I do appreciate you coming on the show. And thank you. Thank you, Thomas.
1: Um, I'm just going to talk to you later. I'm actually going to record the A-Team right after this, so I'll oh, talk nice. to
0: you later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, have fun. Bye. Night. Thanks again to KYT for coming onto the show and sharing his insights into the magic community with us. Also, be sure to check out Mana Deprive, the home of Canadian magic, and if you're looking for magic singles, card fight vanguard, force of will, Yu-Gi-Oh, all kinds of TCG stuff, definitely check out face-to-face games for your online retail needs. If you liked this episode, you will definitely enjoy the upcoming featured guests. He's been a pillar of the Magic community in Toronto for several years. He ran the largest non-GP-related Pro Tour qualifier in the world and is now the co-owner of Face-to-Face Games Toronto. Kelly Ackerman is coming up next. And while you're waiting for the next episode of the Manaverse podcast to arrive, head over to ManaverseSaga.com to learn more about game store entrepreneurship and building a business in the Magic community. There you can check out some of the awesome past guests we've had on the show, or you can check out what I'm working on over at Manaverse Academy. Stay frosty, and as always, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week.